Well, there's this phrase that I think came out of maybe the uh, some U.S. administrations long ago that we've probably long forgotten, which is like, uh, never pass up on the opportunity to take advantage of a crisis. And I think, I think when you look at the world of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, both of us say this word in, in jest and seriousness of digital transformation, right? Looking at the way that you and your, your, your large enterprise, your large organization do software to uh, help the organization do better because of software. <laughs> like, I think one of the things that we've both noticed over the years is it's very rare that an organization, which is to say the people in it, right? That the the people in an organization decide to proactively freak out and start like optimizing things and like going through the motions and really, really solving problems. And it's really only when there is, as we used to say, to be very uh, fancy, uh, uh, an exogenous force or, ex- or you know, uh, what do they call those? Are those the headwinds? Tailwinds mm. are useful. But yes. you know, when you have uh, when you have tailwinds come in, and you have not even one, but sometimes multiple crisis crises occur, right? And and then just 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 to uh, end my opening monologue here in just a little bit, I think uh, you know I've I've joked often that the uh, the first wave of digital transformation freaking out was uh, robot dogs. Right. Epitomized by, you know, like Jeff, Jeff Bezos walking around with a robot dog somewhere. Right. Just like whatever. Every year it's either the four or the fang or like I saw somewhere recently. It might be the eight. I don't know. Whatever. Tech companies. They're basically going to come around and just like. Through the surplus cash that they have from other businesses or their ability to lose money and invest in things, they're going to come around and just like, um disrupt in the lowercase d sense of it your business they're going to come steal business from you Mm -hmm. and so that drove a lot of interest over the past five years and then uh but i don't know i I mean i get the sense that not so much it drove interest and a lot of uh, a lot of business for us and you were you were on the other side of the vendor table i think during these years Mm -hmm. or some of the years but it drove a lot of interest at, at large organizations to be like we need to improve the way we do software the way we create take care of and deliver software uh, and then somehow, like, I get the sense that that kind of like slowed down a little bit. Like, maybe it was around the same time that like Uber had a really hard time IPOing, and it turned out that like a business that doesn't make a profit is not sustainable. And therefore, the way you defend yourself against most lowercase d disruptors is you just starve them out. Yeah, right? just like, wait. Just, yeah, just, yeah. Just and, wait. and and I think I think I think. Large banks are good at this one because they're also large banks are famously really good at technology. They're really they're really good and also really bad. Yeah, I was going to say I've but, worked in large banks. Right, right, right. But but they, <laughs> they they have both, right? Like like there are parts of a bank that are super good at technology, and there are parts of a bank that are super bad at technology, which is a lot better than only having one of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know banks always have tons of money. I mean, by definition, they have all the money. So like they tend to survive and on and on and on. Right. Um, but I think, I think what brought this up between you and I recently is obviously there's like, um, you know, at least two major crises going around at, at the moment. Right. Which drive all sorts of like um, dominoes of, of, of weird things that you could just like never predict that all of a sudden you've got to 
deal with, <laughs> right? And so you and I were talking about this topic and, and, and I think to, to end it out, I think what I was realizing and, and tell me, tell me in this area, what, what, what the way you were thinking about it, but I was realizing is that it's not so much that like we should be, um, what's the word, not eyebrowing, but like finger wagging or whatever at people that you should stop only acting when there's a crisis because like, that's the way humans are, right? Like, mm. like it's, it's, uh, it's like reminds me of a joke where two lions are watching someone running and one of the lions looks to the other one. And they're like, I don't, they're not chasing prey. They should be conserving their energy. Why are they running? Right? Like, it's just like, you've got to conserve your energy for a crisis. Uh, but instead I think, and this is a slight cheat, but instead I think what people need to start doing is like preparing for when a crisis occurs and just making sure that like, almost like those two lions, they've got to be like, I don't know when an antelope is going to come, but I'm going to make sure that I'm ready, whatever it may be. And so that's like, that's the topic I wanted to explore a little bit is like, what's a more pragmatic view to accumulating tech debt, so to speak, and realizing that people are very rarely going to be proactively transformative. Yeah, I mean, you almost have to find another reason. So, you know, the, 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 I don't think companies are going to prepare for the black swans out there, right? I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But if, if instead they're doing something else, like the, the fear of, of Amazon or Uber or Google coming and disrupting you, that while that may have been valid or not valid in in you know individual businesses case that should have helped them have the existential fear necessary to start making the changes so that they could adjust and adapt when something big like covid-19 and and the the uh, protests going on now start start to happen when the way they have to communicate with their customers changes dramatically in a short period of time yeah. if they had that existential fear i guess fear is good if you're a business, you should always be yeah. worrying about, about your position in the market. So if you had that, and you know, if, if, if you are preparing for a famine you know, from a drought that you don't know about, right? You, you, you can't know that it's coming, but every year you could get more efficient at growing your food. And so if every year you're more efficient at growing it, and every year you're more efficient at storing it, then maybe when a famine comes, you're prepared for it even though you didn't try. And I think that's probably a more likely scenario is that the, the daily normal fears that a business have are going to drive what they do more than something like, like this, the, the, the big, big issues that come out. But I think that's, I mean, I think the one people that, that, that prepared that did this digital transformation, the word that makes me die a little side in a little inside every time <laughs> I say it. Um, I, I think they're doing better. And I think we're starting we're starting to see that. Like you were telling me of an example, you know, uh, in the in the grocery world, mm-hmm. of like uh, all of a sudden grocery delivery becomes important, and so hopefully you have like let's just use a blanket term. Hopefully you've got like the APIs so you can work with delivery services, <laughs> or or mm-hmm. even like like you know I think back to uh, back in Texas, like we got this big grocery store chain HEB. And I have no idea what they do internally, but like over the course of a year, they were like slowly rolling out this curbside pickup. And like, I could just imagine inside the IT department, they're slowly figuring out like, all right, what back office system do we need to integrate with now? What do we need to integrate with now? And they're just kind of like slowly going through it. And hopefully by, you know, I, I, 
haven't lived in, you know, I don't know what's going on now, but hopefully by the time that they really needed it, they had done so much work to just enable curbside pickup, which I assume is not that big of a deal, <laughs> right? Like, like, I mean, like, it's, uh, no, it's, I, I think, I think it is a big deal. Right. right. Well, it, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's one of the lesser complex things than like working with another service that you've got to integrate. I, I don't know. Maybe it is a big deal, but, but you know, so it, it is because it's still about, I mean, the, the big thing that they needed to do was update the way their inventory worked. Yeah. And, yeah, the, and, yeah. and that's the same for either. Right. So you can't yeah. do curbside pickup and shopping for people if you don't know what you have exactly all the time. And yeah, if, yeah. if you're, if your inventory is done yeah. by the manager at night and on its own, uh, I, I, I don't even want to say this, but I know that it's going to be out there. If your inventory is on an old AS 400. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. you've got a problem or a mainframe. I mean, it's, and I think you're going to find a lot of that. They never thought anyone right. would need to, to, to know about their inventory. No, no, I, I, I think, yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, what I was trying to construct is like one of the, uh, and this is a bit like, I mean, I hesitate to like use a chaos monkey analogy, but it's almost like a chaos monkey in the business world of just sort of like, when times are good, we should go through routines of like, what if all of a sudden we had to deliver our product in a completely new channel? Would that be possible? Right. And like, not only would it be possible, let's do it. Like, even if all we do is for like one store out of like 300, let's just do all of the work that was necessary to do that and just see what happens, right? Because because one day we'll probably have to do that for all stores or or like one day or, or even, even more importantly, it's not that even that exact thing that we'll have to do, but we'll have to do something. So, so you know, we start to pull on the web of, of the issues and the issue being that, why are large organizations so often unprepared for a new event, a crisis, headwinds, like things that come up, right? Or it could even be like, I, d- I don't know if the phrase positive crisis is a contradiction, but it could even be like a new initiative, right? Like, like it's not a crisis. It's sort of like we have a new thing we would like to do, right? Like we would, um, we would like to do e-commerce. I can't think of, you know, we... Like we would like to, uh, we're a car rental company and we would like to do hourly rentals, right? Like, and it's not so much like, that's even a bad example. Maybe I'm proving the point that people only respond to crises, <laughs> but, or, or I know, I know one it, is like, we would like to increase profits by removing waste from the, the business processes, right? So you call in some, some, you do some study or you call in some consultants and you find out that like, oh, if we made some changes to this way the software works, we could optimize this by five to 10%. And so then the board is like, all right, let's launch this initiative. And like, we're going to do this thing to like clean this up. And so that's not so much a crisis. It's like this new unexpected thing that you have to do in IT. And very often it's just like, oh, I wasn't prepared to ever have to change. Well, there was something really important in what you just said. And I don't think it was your point, but it was important is that um, you talked about having to go to the board and they're convinced because there's going to be a 10% efficiency increase, right? This is one of the reasons these things don't actually happen is that when there's not a crisis, Every penny is squeezed out of, of technology usually. Every penny mm. that they, they can get out of it. And you have to convince the board if you want to do something. And convincing the board of, some, of, of something that may or may not happen sometime in the future, you know, like it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. because it's and, and the board is, in a public company is driven by the stock market and quarterly releases of information, your quarterly reports, right? 
And that's what they're driven by. And that's how they are judging their job generally is by that stock price and maybe the CEO. So they're not thinking, and the stock price has very little to do with the health of the company or how well you're servicing mm. your customers. So I think that puts us, it's, it's still, it's all about, you know, motivations and compensation. And there, maybe there's two types of like health we're talking about mm -hmm. to use a word different than agility. And that is mm -hmm. on the one hand, you have managed your entire business, your I'm going to talk about businesses instead of organizations to narrow down to um, profit-driven enterprises. Uh, you've you've managed your business so that your investors give you the flexibility to do things, <laughs> to do more than strip out costs, right? Like, like classically, like Amazon for many, many, many years was allowed to not profit. The story of, of Amazon is that they were allowed to take their profits and reinvest it into their business, which is some an interesting rewording of not making a profit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then, and then also like the other thing that popped in my head is like, you look, you look at like Goldman, right. And they they were nimble enough to like be the back end for the Apple card, right? And so like so that's something, right? Like that's interesting. And then there, I mean, there's there are organizations that are public companies that somehow manage to like have good technology. I'm always curious, like what have those organizations been doing such that it works out? And then there's there's other ones like um like Hertz recently for whatever reason like went bankrupt. Right. And like and also they had been involved in they, they were like tied up in some lawsuit with Accenture just over like, I think, however many years ago, they tried to basically outsource all of their IT, including probably app development to Accenture. And it didn't work out. And it's just like, when it, when has that ever worked out? Like, like, there's just something that's mystifying about how and, people don't prepare for this kind of and, crisis in, in that industry. Wow. I mean, it, it's like the only way they used to the only way people rent cars now, almost no one just shows up at a car rental place. They all use technology. So if you've outsourced yeah. your technology, man, that's foolish. And I don't usually say things like that, but that's foolish. You, you've yeah. given away control. So if, they, if your app is terrible, then you're just going to lose business and you have no control over it. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, that, that to me, that's, that's frightening. I, I mean, and giving away that, that's the kind of thing, not realizing that you're giving away the keys to the kingdom, the keys to your customers. Mm. That's the kind of thing that drives you out of business in, in a situation like this. That's, that's foolish thinking. If we, if we pull back this, uh, this old flooring past the uh, green linoleum layer from like the seventies and things like that. And we go, we go down to the studs, like Maybe one of the, the principles that we find is it's important to understand what your storefront is in, in, in the sense of like your the contact with the customer. And however, however you are transacting business with the customer, chances are really high that you want the maximal amount of control over that. And recently, what that means is software, right? Like it's really important, like whatever that so those pixels are. Like that is the most important layer for keeping in contact and keeping up with your customer. You know, it's been slowly becoming the most important over the last decade or two. Now it's the only way to stay in business. I mean, now, now people, if you're not going to be able to stay in business, if people have to come and stand in front of you or, or do something in, in, 
I don't know why I've been, I've been using the word meat space a lot for, for the real world. I, I know that came from somewhere, but that, that's the last few days. So I apologize for, uh, yeah, that's, word. that's a, that's an old term from the, uh, the cyberpunk. Days. Yeah. That's pro- I'm probably having a flashback. It's from, it's from the 90s. I'm having a flashback. Yeah. Well, you know me, I always like to say meatware, right? Like you got your hardware and software and then the meatware, right? Like it's all the, uh, the organizational stuff. I think, you know, as, as you're saying, that's like the first real, the first epiphany to you. We'll steal the four epiphanies thing from that guy. But like the first epiphany is that like software is the primary way that I interact with my market, right? And, and the, the implicit thing in that is that if I want to survive in my market, I have to control the means of connecting to the market, (laughs) right? Like I can't let someone else, I don't want a middleman. Like once I introduce a middle person, they take a cut, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And they can disintermediate me. So I never want a middle person, right? Like that, that gives me, that just makes me a part of the supply chain. It doesn't actually make me the owner of, of the market and the customer, but I don't know what the other epiphanies are, <laughs> <laughs> but there, so going back, there has to be something in the area that is how, how do you, how do you put in place the organizational controls? And we could be more, more wing dingy and call it like culture that you are constantly i don't want to say in training but that you are always making sure you're prepared right always making sure that you are you are ready to like do something different because like i I don't want to i want people to be able to relax and profit reap and like you know enjoy themselves but on the other hand it's like you also want to make sure that like when you have to go into crisis mode you can you can handle it and I don't know. That doesn't seem to happen. There are so many things that prevent you from being able to actually prepare for some rare black swan type of event. I, I think, I think if, if you have, and unfortunately it comes down to leaders. Um, if you have a leader that can come up with the tactic that like we, that we talked about earlier, where, you know, you're preparing for a famine by greatly improving every year your food production and your food Mm. storage. And each of those things are justified by themselves. And that's what I'm getting to, right? Like each of those things is sort of self-justifying. And he, you don't have to say, we're going to invest all this in something that may never happen. Cause I don't think that gets by the board. Uh, I I think (laughs) that, and I think that what you had, one of the things you had that justified things and that helped a lot of people, recently is that people were afraid of Amazon and Google to a lesser degree, but man, you hear Amazon everywhere. Everyone's afraid Amazon's going to come. Yeah. They're going to decide to to do whatever you do and then you're screwed. Um, that they were useful. I mean that, that helped people start justifying making some of those changes to try to be more modern. Let me, let me throw uh, one of my things in here. Do you think, do you think maybe the second epiphany, let's just workshop this out as they say, could be, to improve, you must have an enemy. Mm, that's interesting because you know, in the example I gave of of farming, you know, of I'm, I'm not sure the enemy unless that's starvation. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no. Yeah. I, I mean, the enemy doesn't have to be a person. Yeah, like it could be famine, or it could be, you know, the enemy could be a leveraged buyout firm, or it could be Amazon, or it could be, uh, like. 
like your it could be the generation of your prime buyers dying out and then the successive generations don't like your product like Ovaltine or whatever right like I love Ovaltine or, or, I'll <laughs> but I'll tell you I don't have I don't have any so that that's how... <laughs> if it's not sold at Costco I don't have it but um yeah I mean maybe that was a bad example but you know it just like the the enemy is sort of like is it's 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 just a fancier word of saying crisis but but that said, a very an enemy like Amazon is very handy. Yeah, but it's not it's not the enemy. It's the anxiety. It's the fear, right? And so that doesn't have to be real. It doesn't have to be a real person or a real thing or a real company. It can so it can just be you can just be paranoid. And that that could be good for you. You can just like you could you could just be paranoid. And it's it's about the fear. It's about and and I've I kind of been preaching this all along is that if you're trying to modernize, do this digital transformation, making making air quotes here. Um, it has to be. It has to come from a, a place of an existential problem. You have to be worried that if you don't do it, you'll cease to exist. It has to come from fear. And it sounds terrible to say it. It sounds terrible, but that's the only thing that makes people take a risk to change. So it may, okay, so let, we'll reword the second epiphany. Enterprise improvement only comes from fear. Or, or we can shorten it more. We can, enterprise improvement requires fear. Yeah, and you know, and, I, and I, another epiphany, see if you think this is epiphany, is the, the thing I said earlier, is that to prepare for a major disruption, you have to pr- prepare for a bunch of minor incremental disruptions, right? You can't, you can't, like, you can't justify. You can't prepare for COVID-19 but you can prepare for a bunch of little things and get yourself there. You can slowly improve. Everything has to, everything has to pay for itself. Every change, every incremental change has to have, has to add value. Like you have to be able to sell that. You have to be able to go to the CEO and the board and say, we need to do this change in how our developers work because it gives us value. Now, hopefully if you're a good leader, you know that you're actually doing more. You're actually slowly building some some resiliency to larger problems in your organization. But I don't think you can sell that. I mean, maybe now after COVID for another year or two, you can. Right? <laughs> but, but that's going to be gone again. I, I, I think maybe to use an example, which it's a bit of a, of, a, of a cheat because it is still driven by fear. But I get the sense that when it comes to security... You don't necessarily, you can, you can just say this improves our security footing and then that's enough, right? Like you don't have to say we need to introduce two-factor authentication, which is going to cost us, I have no idea how, you know, it's going to cost us $20 million and $5 million extra a year. I'm just making up numbers because it will improve our security footing. You don't, you don't have to say because it will save us this much money or because I, 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 I disagree with that only because I've been in security. So, um, I, I think that right now, if you want to get those kind of, remember, they, they're squeezing every bit of money. You still have to justify it. So the, if, if you go to two-factor, there's a certain amount of risk that can be quantified into dollars, right? And if, if, you, use, if you use two-factor, the chance of someone taking someone's laptop and doing something that, that, that reduces that risk, and you can assign, so security people assign values to things, and, I, and, and they have to or else they can't get past the CFOs. Like, I think that works for, if it's really small, or if it was 20 years ago, 
I think, and, and, you know, information security was more mystical um, back when I was doing it. It's like an art for magical art form, <laughs> but I think you could get away with it. But now I, I, I don't think so. I think it's under the same pressure, financial pressure to justify things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And maybe, maybe this, this is maybe another thing or just my own weird perception of security, but it does seem like something that non-tech people appreciate a little bit more than technical things. Well, they're, they're afraid of it. And so, and if it was, and so, so probably you have an advantage if it's sort of like saying the sky is falling, right? (laughs) It's every security thing is, is a disaster. Like what if someone got all of our customer data? What would happen? We'd have to tell all of our, like, what's the cost of dealing with all of our customer data going to a hacker in Russia? That helps clarify, like, what I'm wandering around the dark here, which is with security, people, let's, we'll say the board just as a metaphor and literal thing, right? Like the the people approving what you're doing, right? The, uh, The board understands the consequences of good and bad security, like at a very, like, literal level, right? Like, they will be able to read my email. But if we were to look at something that to you and me and other people is sort of like obvious, if we were to say, hey, board, if we don't invest in this technology, we will only be able to release our software every six months. They would be like, hmm, well, that was a nice presentation. Now we're going to do the review of the Eastern European sales channel strategy, (laughs) right? Like, it's just like there is there's no tangible understanding of what that means in the same way that like, if you say security, everyone's like, cancel that next meeting. Let's talk about this. Yeah. They, 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 they have a, a native natural fear of, uh, of security incidents. Like I do of spider. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so if you came to me and said, you need to spend a thousand dollars to rid your house of spiders, I'm reaching for my wallet. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. You don't have to justify it. But so in the, in the situation you just mentioned, if you want to do releases, like you want to justify CD, you have to find a problem. And so like at, at companies I've been at, I've done that. I, I've found, hey, listen, we had these deployment failures and they were customer impacting and this is the cost. Then you, you know how much it costs. So then you it's, it's, it's really easy. But yeah, you, you have to do that. You have to... And it's not, it's, hopefully it's not disingenuous because you do get all those advantages. But in the long term, you're looking at a bigger picture, hopefully. If you have a good leader, they're looking at a bigger picture and they're not just looking at, you know, at nickels and dimes. Yeah, it's, it's almost like there's like to something you were saying earlier, there's a generic format of like, we must do this thing, you know, blank because, <laughs> and then the, the other Mad Lib thing you fill out on the other side of because is quantifiable thing, right? Like something as much as people hate it, something that has a number and that number can be positive or negative depending on how you want to talk about it. Right. And then almost as a footnote, there is an improvement that is achieved. That's sort of just like a happy side effect, (laughs) right? Like, because, and you can't inverse that. You can't be like, we are going to inverse is the wrong word. You, You can't rearrange that to be like, we need to improve this thing so that we can quantifiable number, right? Like you can never really say we're doing this to, we're introducing improvements so that it allows us to do this. And more of what you have to say is there is this immediate quantifiable thing that we need to do. Oh, and by the way, we also will have a healthier way of delivering software after that. Yeah, but they don't care. Cause like we, like I've, I've mentioned many times, they're, they're bean counters. So just count the beans for them. 
just give them some beans and they're happy. I mean, and that's, that's unfortunately who we have making these decisions. And it's why it's, it's all about leadership. If, if you have, a, and I've worked for companies that had some pretty remarkable leaders. And when you see that and see what they can get, it, it's amazing. But that doesn't, not every company can have a great leader. I don't know. Do you, do you think it's positive to sell the optimistic thing of we could make more money? Can you enough times successfully pitch a new way of doing things because it brings in revenue that you should do that sometimes? Or is it just, or is it just the, by, by probability, you should just always pitch fear because over the long term that will be more successful as a strategy. I think it'd be more successful pitching something that's not fear because so as technologists, especially, right. I think there's, there's a, like a double edged sword, two sides of a problem Mm -hmm. here. Um, we're seen as as you know crying out that the sky is falling quite often if we don't have this thing then this thing will fail if we don't have this thing and that's that's how technologists communicate with with the the executives quite often is that yeah. everything is 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 an emergency is a disaster and i think that sometimes as technologists we don't you know our our views on revenue are not considered important <laughs> <laughs> or valid. So, I mean, it, it, if, if you can, yeah, that's great. I think that's hard to do. So we fall back on the, the sky is falling. Uh, if, if you don't do this, then this terrible thing will happen. And, and like, then everything's going to crash because they can quantify that. If you don't do this thing, then our databases are going to crash and then we can't do business. And if we can't do business for four days, that costs you $20 million. Right. So it's, I, I don't know. I, I, even though I, think about revenue streams i've never been taken as seriously when i talk about them as when i talk about fear so i wish we could i guess is is, is I, I wish we could go the other way. and if and it's all about improving the relationships we you know we talked about some of the divides in the past between uh business and technology and this is one of them i mean i i've, I've seen executives that just completely wrote off anything that um the technology group said it's the, you know, it's the boy who cried wolf. First of all, this emergency thing that you tell them you need in five years, you need a new one. You know, I mean, it, it's so that they have, they just don't believe us anymore. And I think that's, a, that's a problem. I, I read the business books and business literature a lot le- less than I'm I used to, because I'm trying to like live a whole life or whatever the hell that means. But like, uh, I don't know what I just said there. I've noticed like a trend in recent years that the ideas of agile software development are slowly being generalized to just like agile business. Like it used to be people would talk about like innovate in business. And now a lot of the stuff is like, how do I have agile business? It makes me wonder like outside of IT, who's in charge of like innovation and product development? And, and you know, it varies by industry by industry. Right. But I just I don't know. Like I have no idea in industry by industry, like who is who's like innovating and coming up with new things. And and you know, to 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 spiel on about it a little bit, you can kind of as a consumer, you can reverse engineer that in some fields no one is. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> like in a lot of like retail and restaurant places, it's like they've never really done anything interesting except like have new ads, right? Like However, on the other hand, like, you know, Taco Bell's always got wacky new stuff, right? Like, so there are like, so there are like, and, and, you know, it may be ridiculous, but it it probably (laughs) works, right? Like, but, but there, there are some businesses that genuinely like 
you can tell they come up with things. And then there's, you know, the folklore about the Swiffer. Like, you know, you come across these stories every now and then where there are people like innovating, but my, but I'm never sure. Like, I mean, does that, does that happen? Like, why do they, do they motivate people to innovate? Do they reward? Yeah. Or, or, or more of, more I mean, of what I'm getting at is like, so if you could find those people, like, do they know about software? And that would seem to be like one of the people that like, as you're growing these vines of optimism and improvement outside of it, you want to find the people who were in charge of the Swiffer and be like, Hey man, <laughs> Hey person, like software <laughs> and, mm. and like somehow get them involved in that. Cause somewhere someone must be coming up with like stuff or the business is stagnant. Right. And you got uh, bigger problems. Well, you're also assuming that they don't know about software. No, that's I, I fair. Mean, it, it could be that they have all the information they need, but the organization, the culture, yeah, yeah. the compensation, the motivation isn't, isn't, isn't right. Um, and like if, if there is a, so you were talking about agility and agility in business. And the only reason for technical agility is to provide business agility. If it's not for that, then it's just useless. It's, it's, that, that's, that, that's my view. And I actually recently found a paper I wrote at my last job where I, to, for the board, where I was explaining that, that it gives us this business agility and how it lets us go into, like how quickly it would let us go into new markets, how we could open new lines of business, how we could respond to competitive threats. Like that's what it's about. And that that's, that's how you prepare for the black swan event. Right. So yeah, it, it is. Um, I mean, I, I guess I completely agree with you. Did, did you make a statement I can agree with? I made so many <laughs> statements. One of them must be right. Yeah. But I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's a good place to close it off. Cause I think with a big asterisk at the end, we, we could say the conclusion, not conclusion, but you know, the, the guiding principle so far is, is that uh, chances are, if you want to improve things, you need fear, right? Like you need like, like enterprise improvement, requires fear now the asterisk at the end goes down to the asterisk and it's like unless you're super cool (laughs) unless you're one of the minority of organizations that has already improved so much that they kind of are healthy Mm -hmm. right and and you know you and i i think we even talked about this somewhere but you and i were we were having dinner with someone a while back who was saying that their their organization their company had had like a big crisis about a decade or so ago and they they kind of barely survived it and what they realized was that like, oh, right, we should make sure we're prepared like technologically and kind of culturally to like handle this, right? Like we don't want to be caught. It's not even that they were caught flat footed. It's like we don't want to be caught not being able to respond to emergent competition. So we are going to make sure that we have the ability to respond, right? And I think, you know, I think I think to generalize in that situation, like you're not so much saying that like we're going to become robot dogs ourselves. It's just like we are prepared if we need to do that, mm-hmm. right? Like we are constantly going to be in a state where we can respond rapidly and we can do things. And one last thing about, about fear. You know, we did talk about needing fear, but we, it's also important that, um, that as technologists, we're not chicken littles. We're not the sky is falling. Everything needs to be based on something real. So, you know, so that, that's why you justifying the little changes you need to make with something real, something from the past. So put on, put on your business hat and, and do some quantification and figure out the value of some of the things you're providing and, and tell them that. You, you kind of clarified this in my mind that you're, you're like back when you're talking, just a, a, f- a few of, of your replies earlier, which was, it's almost like in a contradictory thing. It's not the job of IT to use fear. 
it's that the business side needs to be driven by fear, mm-hmm. right? Like if the, if the business side doesn't, isn't pulling from IT, right? Like you need the business side to go ask I to tell IT to improve, like just gratuitous improvement in IT is kind of nice to be proactive, but that's a whole other sort of thing of like, if you can buy the time in IT to make sure you're in good shape to solve the business's problems when they realize they have them, then that's fantastic, right? But chances are like, you don't. <laughs> and so it's it's more of like, you need the business side to be driven a lot more by fear. And then the IT side can be driven by more of optimism of like, we can solve that problem, right? Like, that is something that we can handle, mm-hmm. right? Like, we are here to help out with that. And we've just been waiting for you to ask for it. Because you're right, like, like no one's going to believe IT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, we've done it to ourselves. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, I think I think I think uh, when we review the tapes, we might be able to extract three epiphanies. And uh, I, th- I think the summary is, uh, as always, when it comes to like the kind of like, you know, misaligned incentives and like figuring out how to get the business side more involved in improving IT. I think one of the, one of the things we come to is that like one, there's like it's good to understand what matters in IT and like how to talk with them. That's one thing. But then two, like, you know, you want to have a uh, uh, if you're on the business side or you're coming up with strategy, you want to know how to take opportunity, how to how to take take a, the opportunity of a crisis to essentially start to use it ongoing as a device that drives fear that allows you to improve. <laughs> now, you could also like uh, be making up. Like we were kind of touching on this earlier that like you might over inflate the fear you should be having about something so that you can do something healthy. This is I think we'll call this the dentist technique. How every time you go to the dentist, they tell you your teeth are going to fall out if you don't start washing, if you don't start brushing more and they make you take those little red tablets to show you plaque. But it's been my experience that like, you know, they're kind of over fearing you. It's not that I mean, it's a big deal, but I am I am a, a walking example that you don't actually need to floss (laughs) you can be successful in life without flossing Hmm. (laughs) so you know i I would like to state that kote is not a dentist so uh (laughs) please please ask your own dentist before you stop flossing (laughs) that's right that's right i'm i am if you remember those old ads that nine out of ten dentists approve i'm the tenth dentist that is not a dentist (laughs) like who who was that dentist who was like Nah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not into it. <laughs> uh, all right. On that note, uh, you know, don't be the tenth dentist. Be, <laughs> be the uh, be the ones. All right. We'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Bye.